0: Hello there and welcome back to Chat Shit, Get Fit. This week we are joined by Andy Wiltshire as he unpacks his journey travelling a continent on a bicycle. It's a journey that involves beautiful scenery, colourful characters and memories that will last a lifetime. But then again, it also involves closing tunnels into major cities, getting chased by wild dogs and giant sticks of salami. Yeah, (laughs) let's just get into this week's episode. Good evening.
1: Good evening, Bill. How are you, Tom? I'm absolutely terrified, to be honest with you. What? I know you saw that video I posted on Instagram of the plants in the machete.
0: Oh, yeah, I did see it.
1: So just for anyone that is wondering what I'm talking about, uh, scientists managed to weaponise a plant. They actually attach little electrodes to this plant and like a little robotic prosthetic arm with a machete attached to it. So like uh, the electrical you know, going on in this plant was actually causing the arm to move with the, with the knife and and, I, and I'm terrified. I don't know how I'm going to sleep tonight. But, but, every cloud has a silver lining and I suppose this could be like a new deterrent for burglars. So, you know, if you've got like a massive, I don't know, spider <laughs> nice plant blunts. next to your back door or the cat flap, you know, if you've got one of those fucking bastard tomcats that keeps coming to your house and pissing everywhere. You can have a weaponized plant as your new self-defense system at home. God Almighty! We can, you know, we can ban assault rifles in America. You won't need it anymore. You just have plants everywhere with with machetes attached to them. Well, if it's in America, it'll probably be an assault rifle attached to the plant. In the UK, we just have to have a butter knife or a baseball bat with a single nail through it.
0: Welcome to the podcast, Andy.
1: Hi, guys. That
2: what an intro. What, what, what type of plant was it, Tom? Was it like one like, uh, like of those like a nice little spec- house
1: plant? You know, and this was scaring oh, really? up as it was, you know, with a tiny house plant. So you imagine, like, I don't know, like a a bonsai tree with a robotic arm, with a sock and a snooker ball, swinging that around in the kitchen. It sounds like something out my internet search
2: history, that, yeah.
1: yeah. It's <laughs> almost like when we think about the Terminator films, Skynet was never the problem. It was always home base with their mm. plants. That was the real issue. That's the real enemy. Wow. What sort
2: of size weapon did this plant have?
1: It was like a little mini action Man size machete. (laughs) I mean, science is incredible.
0: (laughs) This podcast just gets better and better, doesn't it?
1: The ethics of weaponised plants.
0: Let's move on from um, weaponised plants and uh, we'll talk about what we're going to talk about today, which is we've got a guest on again. Uh, We've got Andy joining us and we're going to talk a little bit about cycling, aren't we? This is quite an interesting one. So Andy, you cycled from the north um of norway all the way to gibraltar and we're going to unpack this journey from start to finish because it is quite entertaining from what i've heard because you have spoke about it on your own podcast which we are going to talk about at the end but i think we what we need to do first really andy is we need to set the scene to my knowledge you're in a pub getting absolutely shit-faced and you thought to yourself you know what let's do something wild wild is subjective but for you it meant cycling a continent so talk us for that thought process you and your uh, cycling partner robbie in a pub getting shit-faced
2: yeah um well well, first of all thanks for having having me on guys um i've uh listened to quite a few of your episodes especially some of the early ones and uh they they are they're they're mega so it's awesome to be on um and i know that you guys are probably gonna you know let's look at the name of the podcast chat shit get fit um you guys are quite take your fitness quite seriously um i probably don't so much (laughs) which made this whole sort of big cycling endeavor a little bit more of a shocker um yeah i mean i think it's that it, was that it was that classic kind of like idiots had a you know that magical level of drunk maybe two and a half pints down um when you, you're confident um but but you haven't sort of lost lost the plot too much and uh yeah it's just i think we we're probably big time yet me and me and robbie in a pub we did we didn't really know each other very well i think we were, in, we we're in the sheffield weatherspoons and we we're feeling a bit you know we we're feeling like tough men we're a couple of pints down we're like right well, we're not we're not tough enough to get into anything like MMA or any like proper 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 manly fighting stuff. Let's go for let's go for some sort of fitness challenge we could do. Um, and we'd recently watched ah oh, what's it? You um, McGregor, Charlie Borman when they cycle around the world, long way round, long way round. And we we thought oh, that looks bloody mega. But a we don't have the the um, we we can't drive a motorbike because again we're not hard men like I was saying earlier um and b we didn't have the money to afford it anyway so we thought let's do a budget version of that let's do one continent and, and let's try it on on push bikes
0: oh my god did, did you have any background in cycling at all
2: no not at all no honestly apart from like you know the usual stuff that most of us have have you know when we're kids just 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 cycle around the local area Um, not cy- cycle much at all I, I did a bit of running at the time so I was i was fairly running fit which is an interesting one when we when we get on to the the beginning of the trip and because um, because Robbie the guy I did it was was really wasn't wasn't particularly fit and I think he'll admit that he probably had a bit of uh you know um e- extra meat around the middle um and I I was relatively running fit but then when we got to the cycling it was um it was a, it was a different different category just fish to
1: clarify really. though he did cycle it with you he wasn't in like a sidecar attached to your bike <laughs> because this could we got to put things into context.
2: No, I, I think there was times when both of us probably probably hoped for a bit of that. But um, no, um, we, we had these great big, um, what are they called, these um, touring bikes. And they probably weigh something like 50 kilos by the time you've got all the kit on them. So they're quite big, heavy beasts to like, get up hills and stuff like that.
0: Speaking of your uh, partner, Robbie, I remember listening, and, uh, and I quote this bit. He just literally went, we were just a couple of blokes in spoons and thought it can't be that hard. Um, I'm sure we're going to come on to how hard it actually was, but... Um... <laughs> I did like that quote. That does stick out to me. Better, <laughs> it's always weather spoons, isn't it? It's always bloody weather spoons.
1: I mean, usually when you uh when people tend to have ideas, uh, particularly when it's in a weather spoons. Yeah, weather spoons is like you know the the base of all great ideas. But usually, you wake up next morning and go, "Oh yeah, what the fuck was we thinking?" You know, this has to be one of the first times in history someone's had an idea in weather spoons. Woke up next day and gone, "No, this is Jen. This is actually happening." <laughs>
2: Yeah, maybe that's a good point. Yeah, because I know Robbie was surprised. Um, we'd sort of obviously agreed to it a few drinks down, down range, and we were feeling a bit confident. But in the morning, um, yeah, something switched. And we, and we, when I actually sort of hit him up the next day and said, Come on, let's start making up a kit list and stuff, I think he was surprised. Um, but uh, yeah, so, so we did manage to follow through. And then once we got the flights up there, there was kind of no real, no real, but real question of at least doing something because there wasn't another airport for a for a good while (laughs) yeah
0: god what sort of uh prep did you actually do for this um i mean was it just a case of you going and just sort of buying everything you could see because i can imagine it was kind of like a case of information overload because if i was to type in now cycling prep for a you'd probably get bombarded with information so i mean what did that sort of look like for you guys
2: yeah i mean we we (laughs) barely did anything physically um you know probably a couple of buckshy bike rides around the local area um you know, on a sort of little commuter bike, but uh, no, essentially we, um, there's some weird, there's quite a few like blogs online. So touring cycling, which is this whole kind of like mini sport. I don't, I don't think it's massively big in the UK, but in Europe, you know, they, they love it. There's a lot of like um, slightly odd Europeans who like going on these, these long journeys. Um, so you could find the, the, the slightly weird little, little, little blogs. sometimes I had to use a bit of Google translate, um, but people would lay out the whole kind of kit and equipment I think the, the trap was to take too much kit. I think, is you know, you guys will probably know as well from from some of your, your military experiences that, like, it's very easy to just just, just fill bags with with stuff that you, you might need. But, mm. you know, on, on the bikes, every, every kind of bit, bit of weight, you just got to lug up a yeah. hill. Um, That's up, I yeah. think we thought we packed quite light, but um, we definitely chinned off a load of kit probably halfway through because um, you can get away with, with, with very little, really.
0: What sort of bikes did you have? Do you have some like Gucci bikes or are they like proper basic?
2: Yeah. So again, we were were cheapo students with not much money. Um, So uh, yeah, again, Googling online, there's different types of bikes for touring, cycling. Generally, you're looking for like, if you look at your, it's not the sort of bike that you'd be seeing someone doing, you know, the Tour de France in a sort of carbon fiber, super light, really like thin post. It's real like old school, simple engineering actually steel is what the mo- the best touring bikes are supposedly are made out of because it's you know it's quite strong and if it gets damaged you can repair it quite easily we got some aluminium ones because they, they were a bit cheaper um and the the bikes generally are pretty gleaming um i think the the problem we had was with we, uh weirdly some of the the, the bike spokes um w- would often go and i think that's because we probably overloaded the bikes um again being cheapos we didn't want to buy like front panniers and stuff like that we we're like ah, we'll just load it all on the back so i think the back of the bikes were, were, were probably suffering under c- quite a lot of weight throughout the trip really
0: so how much did you actually spend then all in on kicks you said you were students you had to keep cheapo so what would you say your total budget was in terms of like food kit the bikes everything was it i'm thinking maybe a, it's got to be a thousand, a few thousand at least surely
2: yeah so i think the trip came in like just done all in um you know equipment flights um food was was, i think all in was was was, uh just less than two grand so actually relatively cheap considering we're going through like scandinavia and stuff where both of you or each i think i think it was all in in two grand um for everything so a relatively cheap if you want to do you know travel for a long time i think the best thing about touring cycle as well it's relatively cheap and it's a really nice speed to like go through a country and sort of get to explore it
0: okay then so you've got all your kit you've uh you know you've gone gone for a few token cycles around your local area you're feeling super ready to go um we're now at the journey start so the journey as we said is from Norway to Gibraltar talk us through stepping out of Norway you know what was the weather like How, what were those first sort of those that first day when you actually go out there and thought okay here we go we've started
1: yeah yeah I, I mean Norway's fuck can I swear yeah of course uh, of course you, it's, <laughs> we've got shit in the title yeah <laughs>
2: Norway's fucking massive. Um I, I don't think we quite appreciated that, you know, maybe us, us, us being kind of, you know, England centric views on Europe and that. It's it's bloody it's it's a it's a big old beast. Um so I think we we were probably under we thought Norway would just be like the start of the trip, but it was actually almost half the, half the trip was, was cycling through through Norway and it's really really mountainous. So we went up to a place called um, you start a place called Nordcap you know, North Cape essentially um in Norwegian there's not there's not an airport up there so you you have to fly into like a little I think it was called Lax Laks, Laxelv um, and Laxelv is like you know you, you wouldn't really get a town in the, in the UK here it sort of looks like um something you might have seen on American movies of some American like mining town out in Alaska it's got very much that feel uh, you know hard as nails blokes walking walking around everywhere who all look a bit depressed um you know and, and and there's no sort of shop there's there's sort of one shop in the town and um but i think the thing that, that got to us I and mean, and i love the sort of psychological side of the trip because it's really interesting um is uh you know when we flew in with not really that much kit and we saw sort of snow on the ground and we're like oh yeah we didn't think about that it might actually be snowing and uh, <laughs> Uh, and luckily, we, we had reasonably all right all right weather. But yeah, I think that first day of, of landing and and seeing the snow um, definitely freaked freaked us out a little bit and thought maybe maybe we've we've been too cavalier with this trip.
0: Did you prepare enough warm kit, do you reckon? Like in terms of actual wearing stuff and then your accommodation, as I'm sure we're going to come on to you. I mean, was that was that ready for the elements?
2: Yes, yeah, so, I mean what, what did we have? I think we had a, um, essentially a, a warm jumper, a rain jacket, and then a sort of like summer sleeping bag. So quite like a light, a lightweight one. But, you know, at that time of year, obviously in Norway, it's, it's 24 hour sun pretty much. So it doesn't actually get too cold at, at night compared to the day. So the summer, summer sleeping bag was all right. And, and when you're on the bike, you're obviously, you're obviously staying quite warm. So there wasn't really that much time of us being sort of stood about. So yeah, it, it was fine really, actually, actually, all, all, all the kit that we brought with us. We brought some amazing, uh, tents. If you're ever looking for a good tent, Decathlon does an
1: absolutely brilliant tent. Oh, nice Decathlon. and cheap as well. Um, I can't recommend Decathlon stuff. I love Decathlon. Decathlon to me is like my... my you know like how, you know, a bit sexist here, but you like how Primark is for women. <laughs> Decathlon is yeah. like my Primark. I fucking love Decathlon. And the good thing about Decathlon is even their display section is just great. You just go in there without the intention of wanting to buy anything. Just go and sit in one of their canoes for an hour and then just enjoy yourself. <laughs> sit
2: a canoe for an hour. <laughs> and you, you find sports that you've never even heard of in
1: Decathlon. You can, you can find like a new hobby. Like, oh, I didn't even know... They've <laughs> actually got display tents in there. So you know uh if you do come out of a weather spoons and you you know you're not gonna make it home and you walk past the cathlon, guess what? <laughs> <laughs> oh, Just go sad. chill out in one of the tents for you know, the night. Where where
2: do you guys buy all, all your sort of like sports and gyms kit? Do you go do you go to some place or are you like sports direct
1: kind of well, sports direct is a bit posh for me. That's more of like a, a where I buy my mugs from. Don't. uh but no decathlon decathlon's the one
0: yeah i wish they sell crossfit gear and decathlon but they don't crossfit's got like its own taxes and it's like super expensive you want to buy like a t-shirt they it's, like, do. 50 quid
1: they sell first aid kits first aid kits
0: <laughs> yeah yeah touche tom touche um i mean speaking of tents andy um what was the living situation like uh did you ever stop any hardship or is it literally just tents the entire the, like, the entire way
2: yeah and again i talk about these hard man antics because they're funny and you know we're a bit younger then we're what are we about sort of 20 1920 so we had that classic young man thought we were thought we were tough and then we absolutely weren't uh, but no so we, we we had these two little tents we, we got, took separate ones i think that was a pretty clever decision to sort of you know have a little bit of space from each other uh, but no pretty the, the intention was very much to like sleep wild the whole way i must say as we got further down to europe we started thinking we were kind of like kings and we'd really achieve something and that we that we earned a few stays in, in campsites but yeah i think hotels maybe one or two times is, i mean we we stayed in one which is quite a good story after our um after the third day of the trip we were absolutely broken um we got well, to a little three. town <laughs> in, called third alta day. yeah because i I think that was you know the psychological side of it is the trip was so sort of big um you couldn't really sort of like envisage the ending and you know you couldn't sort of think oh well you know i'm holding on for this awesome achievement at the end it's just kind of like when it when it's when it's two months away and it's six thousand plus kilometers away i think it was quite hard and i I think we weren't particularly you know being young and a bit bit idiots we weren't particularly good at being able to kind of compartmentalize and shut it off so yeah, we we found it really hard the first three days. Um, we're cycling not not very long distances. Norway's absolutely crazily hilly. Um, and at the end of the third the third day, uh, we had to go stop in a stop in a hotel, which was a great shout. But again, that young man kind of um, arrogance. If we'd been honest with ourselves and said, "Hey, that's fine," you know, sometimes we need a bit of time for a mental reset as well as a physical reset. But we we made ourselves feel quite bad about it, as if we'd sort of like failed. By uh, sort of ha- having to have a little little pamper session um, in a Norwegian travel lodge, but it was probably what we needed to reset our minds after getting absolutely battered the first three days, and then seeing you know almost no progress on the map.
0: I think you're right what you're saying there, about the psychological stuff because like we obviously joke saying our day three but i always find it's those those early few days of any sort of arduous task where they're the, the sort of that's the that's the that's where people most people break isn't it because it's the point of where like fuck you can't the end's not nowhere near um it's all a bit of a shock to the system But once you actually get yourself settled into that routine almost um you do start to feel like okay you know what i'm here now
1: adapt very quickly yeah it's right isn't it? we are creatures of
2: adaption aren't we as, as humans and like you know you're right these first couple of days you're still in your like soft mindset of living at home having your cup of tea whenever you want and um you know in, in, a, in a warm house not doing something particularly physical but it's like after maybe after three or four days you, your mind sets like oh this is the new normal and just accepts yeah. it
0: <laughs> what was your sort of food like because something that did stick out to me was your uh apparent obsession with tortellini now i mean when i think of a, a cycle across a continent i don't think of whacking up the tortellini and getting get, get that on the go you know i mean
2: <laughs> yeah uh, I mean, we took, um, you know, I think at the beginning of the trip, being like overly planned and stuff, we, we thought, oh, we'll, we'll carry a load of stuff with us. We'll carry high energy things with us. Um, we got a load of like old army rations, probably from the, you know, from the Falklands War or something uh, and stuffed them in the, ba- in the back of our bags. But I mean, you, you're eating so much on that trip. Um, you, should, you, you should eat through that supply like rapidly. Um, so we sort of essentially banked off. We would just hope that we would find a sort of supermarket or something like that. And we would just sort of get, I mean, yeah, there was no real, we probably should have looked in some nutrition and that, but it's basically like I'm starving and it was just like a fat boy feast, you know, um, chocolate, pasta, um, tortellini was, was our favorite because you could stick it in a little sort of little boiling vessel and it would be done in like three minutes. So if you, if you had absolutely no patience, tortellini was, was perfect. It's also very high in energy. (laughs) Yeah a lot a lot of carbs in that um i mean the amount you would eat was was absolutely yeah. was absolutely mental but um it, yeah in northern norway it, it was difficult because the towns were just so sort of far apart you'd end up essentially having to eat like in, get food from like petrol stations so sometimes your dinner would be like a few chalky bars and a bag of crisps because you'd messed up your calculation and you hit, hadn't hit a supermarket so it was all it was all pretty like rogue and i can imagine you've had nutritionists on who would who would hate what we did
0: <laughs> well, I heard about the thing, wasn't it? Robbie just smashing salami like the whole journey, <laughs> just constantly munching away. <laughs>
2: yeah, odd guy, really odd guy. Um, he got this obsession. That <laughs> I, I honestly don't know, I have to ask him. Um, yeah, salami was the way forward, and he would just have like a great big, you know, <laughs> I don't know, how, uh, uh, let's call it a dong, a great big <laughs> a dong, great like. <laughs> and he would just scram through this thing not in like one session like you would like gnaw on it and over three or four days this this dong would would, would reduce to sort of something slightly more chody and
1: uh, <laughs> I think it's very smart to be honest with you because that's something you could technically gnaw on whilst you're cycling there's mm. as you as your conflict yeah. whilst eating in one hand unless you've got an attachment on the bike that holds it for you in a lobby attachment <laughs> but yeah um yeah once again very high energy <laughs> It okay, could be like yeah. those triathletes, isn't it?
2: Because they always, you know, if you're doing like an Ironman, you need. They have like loads of fancy gels and stuff that they eat as they
1: go. Maybe they need like an attachment for this salami, and they just put their head down and gnaw. Depend how thick this salami is. It gets fit in the water bottle holder underneath, couldn't it? <laughs> oh, Jesus.
2: size it that perfect. perfect? Yeah, <laughs> we need to patent that there idea. That's,
1: Maybe that's we're wrong. Case. Maybe it isn't actually a water bottle holder. This whole time, we've actually misunderstood its purpose. Its true purpose it's a salami holder every bike comes with one most bikes come with a salami holder I think we need to patent that idea
0: yeah (laughs) let's get that banked salami aside Andy what was what was it like in Norway in general like was it because obviously people always think of Norway as like this idyllic you know beautiful thing was it it as good as people think overall what would you say your experience of Norway was like
2: it is absolutely beautiful Um, but we're talking about that thing of like people get you know as humans kind of getting accustomed to stuff and like the novelty being the enjoyable bit and it's funny you know we catch ourselves a sort of week or two into the trip and you're going down another like you know beautiful fjord um that's more stunning than any kind of beauty spot in the uk you know threefold over and it's just a bit like okay yeah one of those again um <laughs> at first i think we, we were really kind of like bowled over by how beautiful norway was but we, we, you kind of got, almost got got a bit bit sick of it by the end and because and it's so hilly you'd end up sort of hating these beauty spots because there'd inevitably be be a bit of a hill in it um the fjords i mean were the, were the worst bit psychologically because often you would you know you get to the to one end of, of a sort of inland fjord and you can see the other side of where you want to get to that's maybe a few hundred meters away but you've got to cycle five kilometers down the f- fjord and five kilometers back up the fjord so that was you know that that was an interesting one for kind of like breaking our morale a little bit um Start playing little mind games with yourself. Oh, if only I could just, like, fly across this little stretch of water. <laughs>
0: yeah, for sure. I mean, obviously sounds like, you know, nice, relaxing, going through fjords. But I feel like what we need to talk about, Andy, is what the fuck happened in Trondheim? Because there's a bit of chaos that happened there, wasn't there?
2: Yeah, so we, I think we were surprised... Um how rarely we had kind of clashes with the authorities on the trip considering we were, we were pretty much um wild camping the whole trip um I just find us like oh there's a random little wood block, you know let's go in there um I could oh, talk about this later but like that was that was interestingly one of the things that me and Robbie would clash over he was <laughs> Robbie had a, was much more rogue about where he was willing to sleep and I was a bit more picky so Robbie would sometimes have us sleeping on like roundabouts in like you know <laughs> in the middle of a sort of town or something or some little place round the back of an industrial estate that you're like, I'm pretty sure like drug addicts use this place as like someone to shoot up. <laughs> so yeah, we, we, we were quite fortunate in terms of like not getting, not getting into trouble with the police and stuff like that. And um, I think maybe because, you know, we, we, you're quite quiet on a bike and you can sort of hide away. Uh, but the one time we did cause a few dramas was coming into Trondheim. So Trondheim, I think, is Norway's second biggest city after after Oslo. Kind of on the, you know, on, on the sort of Western side And it's surrounded by hills, and so it's sort of accessed by like tunnels and things like that, essentially to get through these hills. And then, so there's there's one main road that basically goes all the way down Norway, and essentially we were cycling down from from the north. And as it gets into, it comes up to a a little tunnel as it's about to go into Trondheim. And by this stage, you can imagine we're you know sort of two and a half weeks into the trip, we're we're pretty sort of threaders. You know, we we want to get to. We want to get to Trondheim because we know we've got like a nice youth hostel to stay in. We can have a beer and we can kind of feel like we've accomplished something, ticked it off. And we're getting, we're starting to cut corners and we're starting to be lazy. Um, so we thought, oh, we'll just, we'll nip through this tunnel. It can't, can't be too bad. It's um, not going into this, this 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 tunnel. It's on quite a busy road anyway, pretty much. I mean, it's a sort of A road, you know, maybe even a motorway. I can't remember now, but um, we go into this tunnel and it's getting really, really dark and really, really narrow and there's cars going past us, bleep, bleeping their horns, um, you know, people winding down the window, shouting at us. And that's an interesting one. The Nor- Norwegians were quite aggressive drivers, actually, surprisingly. And we thought, oh, okay, something, something's, something's not up here. And I think that the, the penny really dropped when a, a bus stopped, opened its, uh, you know, a big sort of um, bus, with a, you know, a coach, sorry. The coach driver gets down and starts like yelling at us in Norwegian. We're like, oh, I think, <laughs> I think something's up here. <laughs> So we sort of like back out of this tunnel. Um, and as we're backing out, out the signs for the entrance, all sort of go chong chung, 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 chong chong. This <laughs> is tunnel closed. and we're like, Oh dear. You can see the traffic already like stacking up. And we're like, Oh God, we might get, we might get, forget filled in here if people realize this was us. <laughs> so like absolute cowards, we jumped over a wall, um, hid in a bush and, and watched the police sirens as they went into the tunnel to, to never find us. So uh, I don't know how long they searched for these, these cyclists. You know, kind of disappeared before their eyes, but uh, yeah, and unfortunately that meant we had to cy- cycle the old road, which was a was a big hill in Trondheim as well. So we did get a bit of punishment ourselves, but
1: yeah, we did shut shut that route for a bit. Classic Brit support, well, there, it's isn't not it? cycling if you don't cause a conven- inconvenience for other drivers. Yeah, exactly that. <laughs> so you just get into the spirit of being a cyclist. That's all.
2: Yeah, and that, that was surprising. How like we thought the Norwegians would be, you know, they're, they're kind of like a very kind of cool culture. You think of very like laid back, quite liberal. Um, God, I think we got screamed at by Norwegians more than more than any other country. Um, maybe it's that Viking heritage, that Viking aggression.
1: All the two British guys just taking up all their tortellini stocks.
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> oh, tortellini feast. <laughs> yeah. Andy before we move on to you crossing over into new territories um didn't you actually have to pop smoke at some point and head back to the UK for a bit disappear leave Robbie on his own
2: yeah so th- this is a little bit long- further on so we'd sort of nipped across um into across the Norway into Oslo down through Sweden um you know and and, and Denmark which are both kind of you know quite kind of quite kind of uh, pastoral 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 different word and uh yeah, I think we we got down to Amsterdam. And then uh, what <laughs> Robbie Eddie reminded me of this on the podcast the other day, I, I completely blanked this out of my mind, obviously a difficult part of my t- part of my past that I wasn't best uh, proud of myself. i had been doing pretty shit at university at the time, um struggling through a mechanical engineering degree that I definitely wasn't suited for. And uh I had all, I had all my tech uh, sorry, I'd failed a couple of exams. Or well, I thought I I was pretty sure I'd failed a couple of exams. And so I preemptively brought these like textbooks with me. So I had these engineering textbooks. And then at night I'd be trying to like revise all these engineering subjects that I'd, I'd sort of pretty much already failed. And it was confirmed. I had failed a couple of my exams. Um, so we got that, that bombshell, oh my God knows, somewhere in the in the middle of, middle of the uh, outback of Norway, which meant that I essentially had to fly home to go and uh, redo my exams. Naughty me. Robbie had some 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 parents in in Switzerland so we did sort of Amsterdam to Switzerland on our own so Robbie cycled down to see his parents in 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 Basel and um I a few weeks had a a break and then I a few weeks followed him down but yeah quite an interesting part of the trip there actually cycling on your own and the kind of like psychology of why that 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 was certainly markedly harder even though the, the train was quite quite nice just not having a having a pal
0: yeah, but did you have, Was there any opportunity to speak to anybody? Like, Did you phone him or like catch him every evening or did you speak to anyone every evening? Because I can imagine you're just sort of isolated in silence for a week or two, however long it was you were apart. I can imagine that being quite, especially after you kind of, you've got into rhythm of doing this trip, then you go back, sort of have a bit of a reset back in the UK, then you come back out again, and you've got to get yourself back into the rhythm, but this time completely alone. I mean, what was that like? Must have been quite challenging.
2: Yeah, I mean, we're well, going into it. I didn't. I didn't think it was going to be that bad because I suppose it, it, it's rare in your life, isn't it, that you spend some time in in, in quite a lot of isolation. But actually, on a, if, when you're cycling a bike about places, you, you pretty much are. Yeah, you might go cycle past people, and you might, you know, buy something at from, from someone in the shop and say, you know, here's my card and and thanks. Um, but you're pretty much not speaking to someone unless you, you know, unless you're some really ballsy character who can on their own go up to people and and start sort of. Pluck up a conversation and not help, but you know our French wasn't 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 particularly good. It, well, pretty bloody bonjour, je m'appelle and Andrew. <laughs> um, so yeah, we, we, yeah, surprisingly tough. Just just not speaking to someone. And even though on on the trip previously, quite interesting. Me, me and Robbie had um, we'd never sort of been bosom and buddies, and, and just uh, b- before we even went on the trip, we didn't even know each other that well. And and even on the trip, we sort of we, we wouldn't just cycle next to each other, chatting the whole time. But it, just having someone there to you know have a laugh about and say this this is shit or this is this is wow look how amazing this is um yeah that was i was surprised that, that loneliness was 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 surprisingly um tough actually and again being budget like students and, and sleeping rough it wasn't like you had your phone on full charge and you could kind of have a long long call to your you know your girlfriend or your family um you were pretty much saving that battery for emergencies uh so yeah i realized i'm not, not very good at not very good at being alone
0: yeah i don't think many people are to be honest i mean if we rewind a little bit and we go um back on sort of the journey we'll kind of follow it uh, geographically a little bit so you crossed into sweden and denmark was it as exciting as norway because norway obviously sounded quite exciting It's sort like of journey I mean, was there anything that happened in sweden or denmark or was the novelty kind of worn off at that point
2: um yeah i mean um, tr- i'm trying to think too much whether there wasn't there weren't too many antics really um i mean sweden was just a, a slightly toned down version of norway really still still pretty pretty beautiful Including the people as well, the Norwegian people, men and women are both incredibly good looking. It is true. Um, the Swedish are pretty good looking. They're not. They're not quite out there on the on the Norwegians. And then you get down to Denmark and then into Germany and the and the, and the Anglo Saxons are just like us back home. <laughs> yeah. It um, progressively gets worse. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then oh it starts dear. to get better. So we get to Gibraltar. Yeah.
1: <laughs>
2: yeah get down to Spain and, and everyone starts getting a bit more um, attractive again. But no, not much happened in um, Sweden or Norway or, um, or or Denmark, to be honest. Germany was quite interesting because I think Robbie could speak really good German because um, he'd, he'd sort of grown up in, in Basel and Switzerland where it's like German speaking. I could do okay German um, just from school. Um, so I think that you, you realise how that language barrier people, you know, people were, very, were really really nice to us in German, mm. germany and that was probably because we could we could speak a bit of german and we could, we could communicate a bit
0: once you got into sort of germany netherlands france whatever you've also got quite a bit into the journey there because you said norway's fucking massive so you've, you've been on the road for quite a bit uh what i want to know is was there any major bust-ups at this point because we always know after you spend a long time with someone there's only so long you could deal with someone so there might, i mean there's probably like a few little bickers but was there anything major anything that really kicked off
2: it, it, you know it's surprising how little me and uh, Robbie, for again starting, you know, we weren't we weren't really mates. We we're kind of acquaintances, um, and you know, we I suppose we're, we're maybe slightly different personalities. I'm probably a bit more introverted, and, and Robbie's a bit more extroverted. So, so maybe they they sit quite nicely together. But I think the separate tents and kind of like that thing of like we'd cycle next to each other and and, and chat shit, and then sort of you know be happy to cycle apart, no one was getting offended. So yeah, I think the only time we clashed would rarely clash on navigation um oh, here we go maybe that's why it's interesting i think people would clash when they they both thought they sort of were right but if someone was happy that one person was slightly you know i could probably navigate slightly better than robbie i, th- I think that's maybe fair to say so i don't think we clashed on navigation too oh maybe that's not fair he can he can navigate quite well but yeah it was where we camp as i said before robbie would w- wanted to go really rogue and just sleep in some random person's like front garden you know <laughs> and i was kind of like oh let's try and find some woods or something like that um i don't know who was right i mean we didn't we didn't get caught many times um so maybe 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 we should have been more rogue maybe robbie was right
0: what was the story of the uh the wild, the wild dogs though wasn't there wasn't there a story with uh some wild dogs that involved uh one of robbie's infamous camping spots
2: yeah i, I was down in spain um spain spain was it was generally it was, it was beautiful we, we really love spain um it wasn't quite as i think because it's it's a bit more kind of um you know, especially in the summertime, it's kind of dry, there's not the same sort of like there's not so many like um areas of woodland that you can kind of hide in. It's a bit more like deserty. So yeah, it, w- it was harder to find places to sleep. And then at this this stage, we were going through this you know, there's a bit in, in Spain and um, just past Barcelona, where they've got fields and fields of these like orchards. Um and, and they're really like not they're really, like, sparsely populated. You know, there's no sort of people about, but these massive orchards. And we're sort of stuck in one of these massive, like you know, miles and miles of orchards, trying to find somewhere to maybe like like pitch up. But ever is these kind of slightly industrialised orchard areas, um, and then, and and yet there's still there's not any campsites either. So it's in, in one of those, and obviously the locals have got these guard dogs to protect their kind of property. And again, we're looking for somewhere to sleep. Uh, Rob, Robbie's like, yeah, this place will do. I'm like, I'm pretty sure these these there's some like quite pissed off sounding dogs over there, and he's like, no no no, it'll be fine, it'll be fine. And then the dogs are sort of getting louder and louder and louder until, I don't know, They might, I don't know how far away they were. It was, it was pretty dark, um, but it sounded like they were bloody close. Um, <laughs> she legged it. Yeah, and I think that was one of the times we, we clashed over somewhere to stay and, and maybe I was in the right at that stage. <laughs> we didn't this get is mold. almost
1: turned into like the guide of things not to do on a cycling
2: trip. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh no, 100%, honestly. I, I mean, I think the beauty thing of a cycling trip is, is you can, you know, if things go wrong, it just means you've got to cycle a bit further. You know, yeah. you, you you're never yeah. you never lost a load of money or anything. It's just a bit, a bit further. It's to cycle. like a track and number plate. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, oh.
0: yeah. Two random Brits abroad, eh? Um, I mean, we've kind of gone into Spain, haven't we? So some other stuff that I thought... I mean, Spain, you're kind of on that final stretch, aren't you? And I want to talk about this little thing you mentioned on your podcast, Robbie, about this hero complex when you uh, got into Barcelona and you thought, you know what, we're going in as heroes... Um, and the story I want to sort of dive into is trying to blag a free go in Barcelona's big cathedral as some people call it and then also touching on something called the power play which links obviously to your hero complex
2: yeah so obviously you know you were a young men we wanted to feel like absolute legends um and at different stages of the trips we were treated like legends or not treated like legends to varying degrees which was uh, and how that happened was kind of interesting. I mean the first one we had early on was something which we called the Nordcap effect. You know, if you remember we started at a place called Nordcap. Now as we said at the beginning as well, people in Britain and mainland Europe don't really realize how big Norway is. So um when you're in Scandinavia and you know we maybe got towards the south of Scandinavia, Sweden or something like that or Oslo and you tell people you've come from Nordcap, they go their eyes are like oh my god, really? They're like wow, that's that's a really long way away because they you know they know their own country and they know that it's bloody miles away um but then as you, as you get sort of further south again you'd say oh i've come from nord or you know i've come from the north of norway and everyone's just like oh, all right and norway's just sort of up there isn't it at top of no- top of europe so that was that was one of our, our big man tools that kind of would use early on and, and then got less and less effective Robbie had the awesome idea, which again, God, we should have thought of some like marketing things beforehand because we were trying to raise some money for charity and stuff. Of getting, when he went back to Basel, when I went to, to do my failed exams, uh, he got some printed, uh, little laminated sheets of, of our route on a map, which just meant, you know, you could explain how far we'd gone without having to speak much of the local language. And I think the power play that you're referring to is, is, is what <laughs> Robbie called it. it was when, um, if we wanted to get in somewhere or we wanted to impress someone, um, you'd, you'd flash them. They would just think you're some weird, you know, tourists out, but you'd flash, you'd, you'd flick the side of the bike round where they had the, it had the map on it. And then you'd, you know, you kind of like in a self absorbed manner, enjoy watching them go, Oh, wow, look at these, look at these legends. Um, yeah. So I think we kind of our our hero. We were hero status in, in South Scandinavia. And then when we got to the, towards the south of Spain and you get all the British tourists you know um usually half cut obviously and we'd rock up in towns there and brits would see us and we had sort of. i think we do it for help for heroes as well and we yeah we that it was it was kind of like being a minor celebrity probably like you guys as the host of this podcast what it feels like for you guys to walk down, <laughs> down, the, down Hello, the yeah. street
1: <laughs> i've been waking, recognizing asda once and that's about it
2: <laughs> no it, 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 it was it, it was interesting that and um I think the big disappointing bit was then at the end towards when we got to Gibraltar as well. Um, we were expecting sort of, our, our, you know, we'd really got ourselves psyched up that we that we were absolute legends, and uh, and the, and uh, the, it was just we were greeted by just Robbie Robbie's parents, who I think were the only people to sort of see us at the, at the finish. So
0: wasn't it absolutely fucking pissing down as well when you finally got to Gibraltar? Like you expect to turn up in like sunshine and glory, and it's you turn up there, it's just torrential fucking rain. So there's no one out, it's just dead.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I mean, um, we were really fortunate the we the weather yeah you it know, was was amazing that year and again in the Arctic Circle temperatures were sort of like five eight degrees warmer than they usually are which probably made, you know saved us with our, our lack of kit preparation and we yeah we'd had pretty much amazing amazing weather the whole way down um we had had a headwind though we, I wish we would looked up which way the like dominant winds were um and they they they're, they're pretty much a headwind the whole way um which is a bit of a morale sapper when you're like oh God an- another headwind you know, and your, and your bike's massive and sort of like a giant sail. But uh, as soon as we hit Gibraltar, British territory, as you can imagine, the British weather came in and it absolutely started pissing it down. And so we aimed to finish at this this point called, I think it's called like Captor Europe. This is the sort of most southerly point and one of the tourist trap spots. And we're like, we'll go there, we'll rock up. People are going to be like, oh my God, who are these legends? You know, um, we'll get our sort of three minutes of fame. Uh, but it's the heavens had opened, all the tourists are cleared off. And it was just Robbie's parents and some weird uh, Dutch guy, uh, who insisted on telling us about his cycle trip down the back road. In, back when in we're my in day, a and <laughs> God,
0: God, it's a bit wound up. I mean, so you got there. You've obviously you've met you've met Robbie's parents. You've had a little bit of a doula with some random Dutch bloke. Um, how how did you actually celebrate? Did you sort of just eat and drink outrageous amounts? Because I did have a look on your Facebook page, uh, Andy, went to the actual thing, and all I saw was just picture upon picture of you two smashing cigars
2: oh it's kind of cringe cringeworthy really, that now isn't
1: it is <laughs> that for every crime committed <laughs>
2: <Yeah>. <laughs> which wasn't that, that many to be honest yeah again i think we got we blocked that tunnel and we got busted by the spanish police once who basically realized we couldn't speak spanish and were like ah, ah whatever see you guys later <laughs> um but yeah it's a bit cringe that isn't it we thought that was um we thought i was like the cool hard man thing to do is smoke some cigars even though we you know neither of us smoked so we probably probably inhaled them all and, and, and choked it up yeah i, I do think they, i think there was there was too much much crazy celebration to be honest um i think we had to get back to to, to being shit at, at my university degree in a few days time so I think, we, <laughs> I think that that probably dragged us back what do you think guys are, are you are you guys cyclists at all I, i've rambled on about me what are we cyclists i mean pff- to be fair, actually,
0: I mean, I don't, want to, I don't pick myself up here, Andy, but um, I actually my only mode of transport right now is a, is a bike. I get around the town I live in on on a bicycle. Um, so I'm not, I'm not saying I'm a, I'm a pro cyclist, but you know, I spend pretty much every day on a bike.
2: Well, have you got like a a, a decathlon B twin kind of special, or have you? Oh, I've got the Carrera Halford Carrera
0: Halford Special, but I did get a service recently. I got a brand new chain brand new set of whatever the nice. thing in the middle is called i don't know what the fucking gear thing is called um Ooh. got some new tires racing tires Um uh, i mean it's a pretty big deal um you know it gets me around i don't wear a helmet though that's probably not a good idea but um
1: yeah
2: what's your version what's your issue with a helmet
1: well i don't know to mess my hair up <laughs> just cramps your style <laughs> yeah style. Oh. <laughs> i used to have a bike I got like 10 quid off a junkie many, many years ago. I used <laughs> to cycle back and forth to work. And that's when I uh, I injured my ankle, Bill, and I left it chained up in the town <gasps> oh, centre yeah. Yeah, for yeah. nearly five years because I lost the key to it. And I'd walk, I'd walk past it almost every day. Yeah, I remember now. And uh, each day I'd see it getting vandalised more and more and more and more. £10 bike, I was going to leave today. it be there. Oh, nothing. It was there all the way up until the council. This is over like 10 years ago now. It was left there all up until the council actually ripped out the uh, the, the where, where you'd put the bikes to insert new metal poles. But every time I'd walk past there, the wheels were gone. Uh, at one point, someone st- stabbed a novelty-sized pencil into the bike seat and left it there, which was really interesting.
2: What are people doing with these like these random wheels that are, they're stealing yeah. off bikes?
0: It's a great question.
1: I have no idea. I'm more curious as to why someone's walking around with a novelty sized pencil,
0: <laughs> sticking into bike seats.
1: Is the novelty sized pencil
2: still in there, or or could you just tell from the like the wound? You're like, ah, oh, I know, I know. A no, no, it was it was still in there. It he
1: walked. I walked past. It was just stuck in there. It's like I used to get it as the seaside as a kid. Those massive like mm. one-foot-sized pencils. So to
0: answer your question, Andy, no, we're not cyclists. <laughs> 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 no
1: nah, not anymore not since the
2: pencil incident you realize how vulnerable cyclists were to, to pencils you know danger game, <laughs> danger game, right? what, what's the theory on like you know for you guys into just sort of crossfit and things like that is, is cycling good good fitness for for that sort of stuff or is it a I, I, of think a cycling, of I think cycling
0: i think cycling is a good mode of fitness simply because it's low impact right it's a, it's a low impact thing that most people can kind of get stuck into even if it's like an indoor bike um it's normally quite a good tool for most people to sort of get stuck into yeah um and yeah, it's quite enjoyable. It? It's a good thing to sort of get into, I think, cycling in general.
1: I mean, one of my main uh, things about cycling is that people can combine it with just getting back and forth to work. Mm. So it's one of those things where when we try and we want to kind of make exercise almost low effort sometimes. no I said sometimes. What I mean by that is that some people don't even think of it as exercise. It's just a simple case of their modality of going back and forth to work, which increases physical activity. So I'm happy with that. At the same time, we've also got, I know it's completely different. But people that might like uh, cycling, there's easy gateways to get into it. One cycling, just a really simple thing to do, as long as you know how to ride a bike and have the money for a bike. But people could get into it via, well, maybe they just simply like going to spin classes at first in gyms on upright bike, and eventually maybe this is going to be my jam. Maybe I'll go out and buy a bike. So yeah, I really like cycling. I don't do it myself, but I do agree with
2: it. I think it's quite a good one as well for that. Like, um, I remember I did a bit of on after this trip. Um, and, yeah, you know, they, they talk a lot in the sort of, I don't know about you guys in your sort of training about the sort of like 80-20 model of, you know, 80% of your training should be really easy effort, low heart rate stuff, and 20% should be, you know, hill sprints, um, yeah. thrashing yourself. Um, yeah. But, it, you know, it's, it's hard, isn't it, to find the hours in the day to do like long amounts of of, of, of 80 kind of low low heart rate stuff. So, yeah, maybe, maybe commuting's the key is like, you got to do it anyway. I mean, I feel it
1: depends on the goal. But with cycling, you could do either or
2: both. For you guys in, in your sort of weightlifting world, is there a similar thought of that, like 80-20 where you want you want to do um, you know lots of lots lots of reps at, at lower weights for most most of your training, or is it or is it all kind of like you know high intensity work?
1: I mean, once again, it kind of depends on the goal. Like some people could go through life just enjoying like high intensity but low repetition work. I mean, look at powerlifting, for example. Then you get people who might enjoy, well, actually, I prefer kind of repping out a little bit more. When you look at things like CrossFit, you get a bit of both. I mean, it's such a thing. I know people hate this term, but power building, you know, where people do a bit of both, they do heavy maximal main compound lifts. Then they mix it up with, like, high repetition accessories. Um, I think it's not an either or. It can be both. At the same time, you can have a preference for either one. It completely depends on the person and their goals. And that could be via, you know, cardio or strength training. And the motivation to train as
2: well, you know, like if, if training's varied, that's the biggest one I'm like, ugh, even if it isn't the perfect type of training to do, at least I'm doing something is probably, you know, probably better than... I think I'm that's why people like CrossFit, isn't it? Um,
0: yeah. Mm. Mm. It keeps it nice and fresh, 100%. isn't
2: it? Yeah. I must say that this trip gave me like a crazy base of cycling. You know, they talk about that sort of like base fitness. um, because i think a year later i had a, had a crack at a, an iron iron distance try and again probably didn't do enough training for it and was pretty what, pretty shit at the swim and pretty um mediocre <laughs> just good to, at to less than mediocre on the run but my, my bike was still pretty nails i was smashing people on the bike <laughs> i think just because of that, that that trip i still had it in my legs a bit do
0: you, do you still cycle much now is that something you still get involved with?
2: I, yeah, I need to. Again, I've got no excuse apart from, you know, life getting in the way. I, 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 w- I wish I could get back into it. I, I think it's also where you live, like where, where I'm living at the moment, um, up north. um, It's actually surprisingly not great cycling. You know, you've got to gotta cycle through quite a lot of like urban areas to get to it, it being quite nice, which I think is it, just a bit of an off but. But that's probably a pretty weak excuse really, isn't it?
1: I mean, whenever I go up north, uh, particularly Yorkshire, I just think it's insane to be cycling those hills in the first place. But that's just me.
0: (laughs) I think, new challenge, Andy. North North America, South America.
2: Yeah, that could be cool.
1: I feel like South America is quite
2: like, you know, we got stopped by some jolly sort of Spanish police and they um you know they just said oh god you know oh god i was about to put on an accent now i won't do that um you know (laughs) please keep
1: going keep going um we can do german accents norway accents we can yeah (laughs) crack on (laughs) but no the spanish we will not tolerate
2: (laughs) no that's a step too far um some Central American kind of police I can
1: imagine being a bit more maybe brutal with us a bit more probing um, all the cartel yeah. all the cartel yeah I mean if you want a real challenge you could just um, you could just cycle from West London to East London and just try and survive (laughs) just try and survive
0: (laughs) missing wheels by the end of it
1: without 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 a helmet on oh god or you know cycling from one end of Argentina to the other with the Union Jack (laughs) you know uh, (laughs) flying proudly behind it you know
2: and it could be a marketing opportunity for the salami uh, the salami holder as well yeah there there you go happy days it
1: all works out
0: absolutely raking it oh god and if we if we just sort of wrap up your uh, epic adventure some overall reflection uh, we'll just finish with a you know quick some quick fire questions to sort of wrap things up um would you say there's any memorable characters you met along the way anyone that really sticks out to you
2: yeah I, I mean i think we i think the people who are more memorable are the, are the villains you know mm. rather than the kind of like heroes and maybe that's maybe i'm like a glass half half full kind of guy um <laughs> Uh, I mean, we've, who have we talked about? We might have talked about some of them already. Um, yeah, <laughs> there was one guy. It was yeah, a lot of slightly like older European men who seemed to have some sort of like issue with us. Um, I don't know. We, we were, and I, I think we were on those first hard three days. We're getting towards the end of those first hard three days, and there was a man at the top of a, a little climb in in Norway, and we were obviously saying, "Oh, yeah, bloody hell! I'm absolutely knackered." That was that was that was. That was um, tough. That hill, and this guy in an RV um, overhears a conversation and goes, "Oh, there are no hills in Norway." Like essentially saying, you know, all the hills are in the Alps and stuff. Oh, there are no hills in Norway. <laughs> so uh, that, but we 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 use that our hatred of this guy to our kind of um, turret advantage. And if we had a bad day on a hill, we'd sort of shout at each other, "Oh, there are no hills in Norway." <laughs> I did use an accent there, sorry, uh, but he was a villain, so he deserved it. <laughs> love that. that was great that but there was also lots of lovely people that helped us out um, lots of people tried to give us directions and we realised people don't even know, people, who, people don't even know their own uh, where they live you know some of the directions we got from locals were awful awful and it's like you live in this town
0: 100 metres that way 200 metres that way it's about 4 miles away <laughs> yeah <laughs> exactly yeah god's sake um what would you say your best memory was and your worst memory
2: oh okay best memory yeah oh easy um it was the stuff that you'd like stumble across um and that was a quite nice bit of the journey is rather than you know going on on trip or google maps beforehand and searching the big attractions and kind of knowing what you're going to go and see before you found it again this is probably before a lot of that stuff had existed um and we didn't and it was all like pretty rogue so it's when we'd like stumble across, across something quite cool um there's a bit in the south of france called the rona valley r-h-o-n-e amazing a bit so beautiful which we didn't really expect and it's like there's just a uh, town after town of these like almost like they look very like medieval these towns and a few of those that we'd stumble across kind of um you know at strange hours early in the morning when there's no tourists there was, was sort of like going back into history so that, that that was really cool the stuff that we'd like stumble across uh worst memory um I think just those early days, probably, probably those days of thinking, you know, we're gonna we're gonna have to return home without even of it, with, without achieving this challenge, and, and we're gonna be, gonna be a bit embarrassed, um, and that 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 was probably probably quite tough. This first first first, year. in fact, no, easy, no, first day. Well, there we go. I talked about it at the beginning, and I didn't bring it up. Um, Robbie was really unfit, and I was quite fit at running, and Robbie was absolutely smashing me on the first few hills in Norway, and I was just in 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 bits you know because I'd psyched myself up to be the strong cyclist and I wasn't I was the, I was the handbrake
0: <laughs> you mentioned those those early days where you thought oh you're gonna have to go home and um, you know you might have to like, not complete the challenge was there any point where you were like super close to actually making that decision of you know just packing the bike's away and just fucking popping smoke basically
2: I think we, we definitely told ourselves you know, we we weren't create these. I love people who go on the, these things and talk about the. Oh, I absolutely, had this vision, and there was no way I was ever going to fail it. We probably told ourselves several times, like, "Oh, it's all right, mate. We'll just we'll get to you know insert town. We'll just go that far, and then and then we'll get a, a flight home." Um, and obviously, by the time you get to that town, you've kind of like you, you've got into it. Um, so actually, it's you know, it's not the worst thing to sort of say to yourself, oh, "I'll just get to this place." And then change change the goalpost.
1: Yeah, what's one more destination? Uh,
0: and finally, Andy, is there any advice you'd like to give anyone uh, thinking of giving a similar challenge a go? I mean, as we said, this whole podcast is essentially telling people what not you know what not to do. Um, is there anything you tell people to do?
2: Yeah, I mean, um, I think that this is gonna this is gonna probably be a nice finisher. The, the whole thing in the first place of touring cycling. Which again is quite big in Europe, not that big in the UK. Um, probably because we've, you know, we've got to we've got to get on a ferry to get get somewhere outside the country. Um, yeah, it, it's really accessible actually. You know, um, I talked about two thousand pounds. Most of that was like things like ferries and um, campsites, a lot of the food. The actual kit, you know, you you can probably do it. You could, you know, you can have a, an all right road bike and probably strap a few um, bags to it relatively easily. Um, and it is pretty achievable because, you know, you you can go at your own pace. You know, if you're wild camping, you don't have to reach a certain destination. So I would say if, if you're somebody who quite enjoys a physical challenge, um, and you enjoy a bit of a kind of whimsical adventure where you you don't quite know where you're you'll end up. Um, it's great. It's, it's a really nice pace to see a country and the locals are also, uh, you know, uh, I don't think we felt too much like tourists. You know, sometimes when you go to someone, you feel like you're the hated, annoying British tourist. I think because we'd sort of like, you know, obviously put a lot of graft in to get there. People were quite different to us. It felt, or it certainly felt that way. Um, they're they're much, more, much more welcoming than if you were just, you know, even in busy places like Amsterdam, as soon as people realised we'd cycled there, you weren't the annoying Brits there to get drunk on a weekend. You were, you know, they'd actually have a chat
0: to you. Well, oh, Andy... Oh, obviously, you know, well done for doing the challenge. Thanks for coming on and talking about it. It was, uh, you know, <laughs> it sounded like quite an exciting trip. And actually listening to it, it, makes me want to go on some sort of mad adventure now because it does sound like quite the experience, you know, good or bad. So yeah, thanks for joining us to talk about that. But we also need to talk about something that you've started recently and that is you've launched a brand new podcast. So I think we should uh, have a little chat about that. Talk to us. What is this brand new podcast?
2: Um, yeah, I've got, got a new little podcast myself. Um, things We Find Interesting is what it's called pretty much what it says on the tin. Um, you know, we just talk about stuff that, yeah, is is, is is interesting to me and some of the guys that come on it. Salami. Salami. Yeah. <laughs> Salami <laughs> patents. Or um, yeah. the weaponized plants. All the, yeah. Oh, God, we could definitely do an episode of
1: weaponized plants.
2: Um, <laughs> you know, cause, as you said, there's like a big ethical call about that. That could be really interesting.
1: Well, if we need to start organizing a resistance, we need to get the word out ASAP. So, yeah, def- definitely uh, an episode for the future.
2: Um, uh, and plants don't listen to podcasts yet so it might be a good medium to like yeah, get it out to the to the humans um yeah so we, we do all sorts of different stuff there talk about some like um some kind of world politics stuff we also do some stuff on fitness we had um you guys were mentioning powerlifting. our latest episode was um from a guy i know who i think won the european championships in um in a certain weight category for for powerlifting. so he was sort of talking about the the like psychological side of it you know about how he gets himself like prep for competitions and stuff, but give us a check out. Our editing's pretty ropey, but I think some of the stuff we talk about reasonably half interesting.
0: <laughs> That's the important thing, isn't it? As long as the content, you know, somewhat interesting, people will listen week in, week out. I will leave details for that podcast and the show notes, guys. If you do want to go check it out as well, obviously we will tag them as well on our Instagram. We share this podcast um, when it goes out on uh, Monday. Uh, whenever you are listening to this. Um, but yeah, thanks for joining us, Andy. And uh, I'm sure we'll speak again very soon. It'll be a pleasure as always, guys. Uh, we'll see you on the next one.
2: Happy days. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me.
0: As always, thanks for listening. As we said at the end there, guys, head to the show notes below and give the Things We Find Interesting podcast a listen. But before you do pop smoke and uh, do just that, we'd love for you to quickly leave us a rating and review on your podcast app if you did enjoy that episode. Going to assume if you've got this far, you've somewhat enjoyed it. So yeah, it takes a few seconds of your time to do so, but it makes a huge difference to our podcast growth, which is ultimately what we're always trying to do. So thank you in advance for that. We will see you next week, same time, same place for a brand new episode. See you soon.